as we approached uh, Proverbs 22 at the end, going into chapter 23, I began to kind of talk about some very, Proverbs is a very practical book, some things that he really wants us to focus on as disciples. And part of that was, if you remember, we talked about marketplace ministry and the fact that uh, we are ambassadors of Christ and we're learning how to represent him in the area that he's placed us within the earth, our area uh, of influence, whether it be marketplace or school system or at the home, whatever the case may be. Um, We are ambassadors of Christ. So we are to bring, if you will, to redeem situations and and places and bring it into his glory. Last week, I began with a a verse, Ecclesiastes 9, 10, if you remember where it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Y'all remember that? Yeah, because it goes on to say, because there's no device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Um, I want to caution you if you have never seen that verse or it strikes you as odd, Um, As I did last week, Solomon is at the end of his life. He's had everything, tried everything, and experienced everything, and now he sees that the only thing that matters is glorifying God. Remember I shared that with you last week? Some of the cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, will take this to build a doctrine called soul sleep as though when we die, we just kind of go into a non-existence until, uh, you know, the kingdom or whatever they, they talk about. Uh, The reality is we know that's not the case. The Bible is very clear that we now have eternal life. Therefore, once we are absent from the body, we're instantaneously present with the Lord. Okay, amen. We know that. Um, But what the verse is saying is that what, what we find to do, what the Lord has given us to do here, do it with all of our might because now is the time that we have to be able to operate in the earth for his glory. This is not our life. And so there is a worldview and a focus that we as disciples must have. And we've been called, actually, and this is something that the church can sometimes get wrong. We've been called to make disciples. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 28, Great Commission verses. You probably know it by heart. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. A lot of times the church wants to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But no, go into all the world and make disciples. We preach the gospel as a hook, but what we catch, we have to then clean. And that's where the church comes in. Sunday morning is for equipping the church, you know. And so go into all the world and make disciples. And this is what we've been called to, to do, duplicating ourselves. And right from the beginning, we see that all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when, when he said, um, you know, be fruitful to you know, the man and his wife who he made in his image, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which I always love those words. You know, imagine that, fill the earth. We still haven't filled 20% of the the earth yet. It's like maybe 10%. And, you know, global elites, I tell you, they say that we need to reduce the population of the world. We're going to run out of resources. That's because they have no sense and they don't understand God and the creator. We don't even have the ability to fill the, the earth and destroy. We could never do that. You know, no, God... And God is smart enough to make an earth that can sustain everyone who he knows is going to come forth from the process that he's already put in place. How many of you believe that? All right. The Bible says that he knew us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in Christ, which means that he already knew how many there would be before we got started. So he said, hey, go forth and fill the thing. Duplicate yourselves. Well, we do that also through making disciples. And then he said, subdue it and have dominion over it. So he's called us into some things. And I want to, I just want to kind of remind you of a few things that, that, that Jesus taught 
really quick in Luke chapter 19. Uh, I'm going to get to where I need to go here in a moment, but it is second service. There's no third service, which means I've got a little flexibility. Um, and, and look, if they put a bunch of numbers on the screen from the children's ministry, then I'll wrap it up. But <laughs> chapter 19, verse uh, 11, it says, now as they heard these things, and by the way, we're going to move a little bit with our sword this morning. As they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Remember, a parable is an is a, uh, earthly story, something that we know and understand. It makes sense. We can relate to it. It's about something we've seen, so everybody understands it, but it has a heavenly meaning. Y'all remember that? It's, it's, it's given us a spiritual truth using something. Jesus is the master teacher because he often uses parables. So when he heard these things, they, he spoke another parable to them because he was near Jerusalem. This is the purpose of this parable. He was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Jesus is being gracious. He already knows that they want him to ride in Jerusalem and overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom. So because he knows that's what they are desiring, even though he's been telling them that's not what he's going to do, but we don't often listen to him. So he's given them a parable to prepare them for what's about to happen. That makes sense? Okay. They're looking for the kingdom. The kingdom's going to come, but it's going to come at his second, his second coming. So verse 12, he says, therefore, Jesus says to them, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. And you can kind of understand Jesus is using this parable to illustrate something like in the sense he is the nobleman who's about to go into a far country. What far country? Well, he's about to be crucified, be buried, rise on, on the third day, spend 40 days with them, then ascend up into heaven, Acts chapter 1. Going into a far country being heaven. Everybody with me? And the purpose of going into that far country, notice, is to receive a kingdom for himself. He's going to receive the kingdom while he's in heaven. Then he will bring it to the earth in Revelation chapter 19. And I love this. I could spend, we could literally, and, and this is like a pastor's dream. We could literally spend the next eight hours. And I'm not exaggerating. I could spend the next eight hours with you because what I would want to do now is say, pause, and let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And let's watch him uh, receive his kingdom. Let's watch the throne be set up. Let's watch the ancient of days and one like the son of man being brought near and to him was given a, a kingdom and power and dominion forever. You know, we could watch the thing unfold. Then we could go to Revelation chapter five and watch it from that perspective. And, you know, we see Ezekiel and Daniel and John all agreeing on the inauguration of Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings over the whole universe. So he's going to receive a kingdom while he's there. Verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, here it is, do business till I come. The King James says, occupy till I come. He tells his servants, hey, I'm going to get my kingdom and I'll be back. While I'm gone, y'all do business. It's a beautiful thing when we think about it. Now, the prosperity heretics take this and focus on money. What we know that Jesus delivers is gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts and offices and, and, and things that which we operate to bring him glory, to represent him. It's like the 10 versions. They had oil represented the Holy Spirit. You have to have oil to catch the ride to heaven, meaning you must be born again. Those with no oil are not born again. They couldn't go. I don't know you, he said. So this is a, it's, it's amazing that there's one author writing all this, which is why I can reference all of these places, and it makes sense because there's only one author, the Holy Spirit, even though he used 40 different men who he moved upon. So he's using this parable to help us understand that he's given us as disciples some things of which we need to utilize as we occupy, do business till he come. What do we do? 
well, Ecclesiastes, whatever we find our hands to, be, to do. So what you do, your job, your ministry, your, your home, you're called to something. Your marriage is called to something. It has a purpose. You as an individual are called to something. You have a purpose. There are people that you influence. There are people that you have the power to change their eternal status and destination by the life that you live before them. That's how much power we have as the disciples of Jesus Christ because we are his ministers in the earth today. And that's the only reason we're really here. And we got to kind of get our hearts and our minds out of the fact that we think all of this is about us. As we make our way to Matthew 24 on our way back to Proverbs, let's stop off there. In Matthew 24, now these parables end pretty rough. If you read both of them, I encourage you to do that in your own time. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to, to get a full picture of what's, what's being said. And I, I can't spend all our time here. But Matthew 24, I'm going to start reading around verse 43 where it says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Modern times, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the modern translation. If you knew the robber was coming at 12 midnight, you and your shotgun would be sitting by the front door waiting. Make sense? That's all he said there, okay? He's saying if you know what's going to happen, you're going to be prepared for it, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready. Here's why. For the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Is coming at an hour you do not expect. Which is true. We don't know when he's coming. Meaning... When he raptures us out of here, we don't know when he's coming. You know, now you can know when he's coming in the clouds on the horse because you can do the math from when the abomination of desolation takes place midway the tribulation. You can do the math because Daniel gave us the math and John gave us the math. That's really simple. But you don't know when he's coming for the church to gather us in the air. Nobody knows. He says, all right, so he goes on to say, who then is a faithful and wise servant who his master made ruler over his household to give food in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, finds so doing. Finds doing what? Occupying till he comes with whatever his hands finds to do. He's being productive or she's being productive for the name of Jesus Christ. In the, in the world. And, and that doesn't mean you got to quit what you're doing to go into full-time ministry. It means you already have a ministry. It, a lot of times it's just embracing where we are. And that ain't all, that's not easy. That's not easy. People are like, Pastor Kevin, you're such an example this year. You know, as I told you before, that's not the example I wanted to be. But when you, em- you just learn to embrace where you are and allow the Lord, I minister to myself from the pulpit too, to do what he's going to do in your life. And he gets the glory in the end. Amen? Amen. So now as we go into Proverbs... It's that thought process. We keep it together. So the Bible, the Bible is not a textbook. It's not, it's not a dead textbook where you get a little bit of a knowledge that you can use in certain aspects of life. Like a medical journal will help you if you're studying medicine and you got to apply it, okay? The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit, and it's something you use daily, moment by moment throughout your life that God uses to give you direction, to give you understanding, to give you clarity, to give you perspective on everything that's going on, and to give you a perspective that keeps you grounded and focused, which is kind of what we look at now as Solomon still writing to his children, trying to give him wisdom. We pick it up in verse 17, chapter 23, verse 17. If you're there, say amen. Amen. 
Do not let your heart envy sinners, he says. This is important. But be zealous for the fear of the Lord all day. For surely, he says, there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. That's huge. Solomon, Old Testament, telling his children, this is another thing that you need to understand as you navigate the earth. Don't envy sinners. You need to have an eternal perspective. That's what he just said. And as we think about that, because this, this is a very uh, practical, Proverbs is a very practical book. Let me pray before I dive in. Father, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> thank you for the word. We need it. I pray that you would, at this very moment, get all the junk out of our heads, that you would subdue all things and bring it into, under the subjection of, of uh, the power of your spirit, the ability, the gift of teaching, and ears to hear. So you would take away from us uh, distractions, Lord, from the room and the things outside the room that our minds may wander on. Lord, that you would allow us to be focused for this moment on you. Lord, that this moment would have eternal weight and value tied to it that we would all understand. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he says to them not to let our hearts envy sinners. To envy Sinners, meaning those who are wicked, those who are living this life for themselves, those who are not living for the Lord. Um, and by the way, these are the ones who most often are put before us on the big screen and the billboards and all the media that goes forth. So they're always in our face and you can't really escape it. So you're going to see what he's referring to in a sense. And he's saying, don't envy them. Well, to envy sinners, listen, shows a lack of either biblical understanding or a wrong world view, or a drifting away, we call it backsliding into discouragement. So when we ever find ourselves envying the boastful, the proud, the sinners, those who are wicked in the world, envying them or what they have. Remember when we were back over in verse one, not being impressed when we sit down, don't be impressed with, with them and what they have, because once we find ourselves in that place, we are in a dangerous, slippery slope. And we need to be careful about that. And Solomon is warning his children, which means he's actually warning us because the Holy Spirit's the author, amen? And the Bible is saying, Proverbs is saying, hey, gird up the loins of your mind and have an eternal perspective of this thing. Listen, Proverbs 14.30 says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy notice is what, y'all? rottenness to the bones the Holy Spirit is saying hey this thing is dangerous um, he says a sound heart meaning a healthy heart we talk a lot about the heart we'll get into it more today your soul the the very essence of your being is, is sound and so when it's sound when it's when it's being uh, washed in the word of God and, and you're focused on the things of the Lord it's sound it's life it's health but when you envy you've taken your eyes off of the Lord and you begin to long for and covet the things of the world and what the people of the world have in a sense, it can be rottenness to the bones is what Solomon is saying. It, 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 instead of life, it creates death. It literally does, especially in your spiritual vitality. And this is something that he wants us to understand. Listen, envy is an enemy of the kingdom of which you are a citizen. 
Well, how do we know that? Well, I won't go all into it because we don't have a lot of time. But in Mark chapter 15, you can look at it in your own time, verse 9 through 11, Jesus is being uh, delivered over to Pontius Pilate. Y'all remember the scene, right? Well, Pilate was trying to let Jesus go, but it says there that Pilate understood that they were being turned, that Jesus was being turned over to him because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, envied him, and therefore they sought to destroy him. Acts chapter 13, same thing, New Testament, further on in the church, Paul delivering the, the, the gospel, he would first go to the Jews. Everywhere he went, he would go to the synagogue first and preach the gospel, but they would, they would reject him. And it said that they, were, they envied him because people were being drawn to the word of God, and so they wanted to destroy Paul. Romans 13, 13 says, let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So the Bible is consistent that envy is a dangerous thing and it can cause us to slip. I'm going to come back to that thought in a moment. But notice in verse 17, instead, he says, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord. How often? All day. All day our minds should be stayed on him. The Bible says that he will keep us in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. Amen. And so therefore he's saying that what helps in this is that if we have this, um, this healthy understanding of reality and in a minute we'll learn even eschatology by being zealous for the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the reverence of God. So it's healthy for me to focus on how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how good he is, how loving he is, how merciful he is, how, how, how all of these things that I read about and to meditate on those things throughout my day. And it keeps my mind stayed on him, which keeps me in perfect peace, which keeps me in life, if you will, and away from the rottenness of the bones that Solomon describes um, when we begin to envy. Man, it, which is basically covetousness. But we live in a covetous society because, you know, because Satan understands that, because man understands that, marketing is big business. You can market because people are coveting and they want stuff. So you can market stuff to them. <laughs> it's big business. False teachers do that. They fleece the flock because they give us what our itching ears sometimes want to hear as they take advantage of us. But when we, when, listen, when we guard our heart against such things and keep our, our minds focused on the reverence of the Lord and who he is, we, we then become free of that very thing. This is what he's getting at. Notice in verse 18, he says, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. This is why he's saying, that, hey, look, keep a good perspective. And this is what your perspective should be, that there is, ladies and gentlemen, a hereafter, an eternity. So he's saying, therefore, keep your eyes on the prize. Solomon is saying that there is a day coming after this first phase of life ends, which things will be reconciled and books will be balanced. Let me give it to you this way. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said this about envying. Uh, chapter 73 on your screen, verse 1, it says, Truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, he's confessing, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Notice he says, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Y'all catch that? 
he sees that the wicked are prospering. And because he became envious, he was close to stumbling himself. And this is what he is confessing. Now, remember what I told you. It's not that the envious are better or smarter or any of those things. It's that we, the believers, the born again ones, the sons of God, ladies, that includes you. That's a phrase. It means Eve was in Adam, which is why God said, Adam, where are you? Which meant Adam and Eve, where are you? So when I say sons of God, that also means daughters, right? Y'all understand that. Okay. But because we're his kids, he tempers how well we do when it comes to things because he loves us and he doesn't want to give us that which is going to kill us. Just like you wouldn't give a brand new Corvette to a 15 year old in his learner's permit and say, take this for a spin. <laughs> Zero to 60 and I don't know, three something maybe. Would you give that to a 16 year old? No. And so there's certain things that God just won't, doesn't matter how good you are and why hasn't this happened because he ain't gonna let you kill yourself. In other words, he doesn't want anything in your life that's going to take you away from him. So for us, he tempers these things. The psalmist is saying, I'm looking at them and I'm, I'm, I'm slipping because I'm becoming envious. Later in the same chapter, verse 16, on the screen of that same chapter, the psalmist goes on to say, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. In other words, when he went into the presence of God, his perspective got changed. He says, then I understand therein, the hereafter. Surely you set them in slippery places and cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. In other words, once our perspective is on eternity, once we understand these things, then our perspective changes and we can stay in the reverence of God, which gives us life and not be moved by the things that we see. Our perspective is everything. Psalm 37 verse one says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be what? Envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. We'll touch on that in a moment. In other words, as we focus on the Lord, the Lord is the one that sustains us. The Lord is the one, as we're going to learn, even curbs our desires to make them healthy. Um, now, notice what he says in the verse again, verse 18. He says, for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Y'all catch that? And I love that. Your hope will not be cut off. Well, what hope? Is he saying, is this an abstract hope? We all got hope and he has a hope and she has a different hope. No, 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 no. He's speaking of a hope that is our hope, the hope of the believer. Well, what is the hope of the believer? Um, Paul gives it to Titus this way. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says, I believe it's verse 13. I know you got it, Andres. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great notice God and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a rule in the Greek that's, that states that the second phrase is tied to the first, which speaks of the deity of Christ. So we're, our hope is in the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lewd, lewdness, deed, and purity for himself, lawless deed, and purity for himself, 
his own special people, zealous for good works. This is our hope. Our hope is tied to, our hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus for his church. Our hope is tied to us seeing him face to face. This is what we long for. Now, let me say this. Every believer, when we get saved, hear me out. From the moment that the spirit of God entered your life, with that presence of God in you, there's this eternal desire and longing that happened that was created in you that you may not even have understood fully at that moment, but you knew there was something more than this. At that very moment, as soon as you became born again, you instantly realized, hey, all this stuff that I am envious of, all these things that I want to experience, for some reason, I don't think it's going to actually satisfy me. And which is what Solomon was saying. I did everything and it wasn't anything. And you begin to realize there's something greater than all of this that I'm longing for. It's out of this world. And you begin to realize more and more that you're longing to see God. You, you have this understanding in the spirit that eternity must be something really amazing. And even though I'm not ready to leave now because you got people you love and all this stuff. But, you know, it's kind of like, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up now. You know, I'm caught, there's something greater. I don't understand it. That's what Paul says. Hey, I'm, I'm all messed up because I'm ready to go, but I'm trying to stay here to minister to you. I'm caught between the two. I don't know what I want to do, you know, and he begins to realize that there's something greater than all of this. This is what we know that our hope actually is. And when we have that hope, we have a perspective that keeps us, that, that uh, purifies us. As John says, those who have this hope in them, um, purify themselves. In other words, if you're waiting to see Christ, you're living purely. Hebrews says that it's the hope is an anchor for the soul, which keeps us grounded in the Lord. And so it's this hope of eternity that frees us from everything else. And it's amazing. And it comes when we're born again. I love this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, because you can test this hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I love that. Faith itself is the substance of things hoped for, is evidence of it? Yes, actually it is. Your faith is the evidence of your hope. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Kevin? Well, faith is basically, faith is your conviction. Faith is what you truly believe. So then the things that your conviction, the things that you're doing is proof of what your heart's conviction is, all right? Therefore, because my heart conviction is that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, he is the son of God who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, rose on the third day, my sins have been paid for, I have eternal life because I believe that that is my conviction, that's what my faith is in, well then that faith is seen because now there are things that I don't do, but then there are things that I do based upon that conviction and that belief. So therefore, you see my faith. That's why James says that, hey, I can, show you, I can show you my faith by my works. Because my works are evidence of what's really in here. Because I believe in the Lord, I persevere with a level of joy that I shouldn't have based on the things that I may be going through. It's proof. Well, therefore, your longing for him, which changes how you live, is proof that your hope is in the coming of the Lord, even when you don't fully understand it. That's something that every believer has. And we grow in it the more we feast upon his word. Y'all okay? So now let's go back. So with the understanding of that, Solomon is now going to make a statement in, in verse 19, which just kind of sets us up for a series of general statements that we need to pick up before we get out of here today. So verse 19, hear my son and be wise, he says, and guide your heart in the way. 
I was speaking with a lady after service. She knew what I meant when I said this. Be wise is a particular Hebrew word. Um, you know, it's a two-syllable word which has the K sound in both of them. So I don't want to spit on y'all. So I won't try to pronounce it. But be wise, it's a verb which means to show yourself or act wisely. We've learned that wisdom is, you know, this ability to apply the knowledge and understanding that you've gained in a way that will help you navigate this life that you live in. That's using wisdom. So the knowledge and understanding that you've already gained, the ability to apply it in certain situations within your life. So what Solomon is saying to his son, I've instructed you. Now be wise. It's kind of like what David said to Solomon, isn't it? Show yourself a man. Use your wisdom to deal with these situations. Solomon is saying to his children, as, as weak as God can say to us, hey, you've gained the word. You have my spirit. Apply it, is what he's saying. And then he, notice he says, and guide your heart in the way. Y'all catch that? I love this word, guide. Um, it's translated from a word that means to set right, straight, advance or make progress. In other words, he's saying to you, you've gained knowledge and understanding. Use wisdom as you advance to, to be able to utilize it to be successful in your Christian walk and to glorify God in the things that you are doing. And I like the fact that he says, got your heart in the way. Because we've been seeing a lot about the heart. As I told you, it's the, it's the very life, the seat of who we are. So remember, the heart is a very delicate part of our being. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life, okay? So it's delicate in the sense that it can be influenced by the flesh. It can be influenced by Satan. And it can be influenced by the Holy Spirit, the question is, which one you do you want to follow? Which one do you want to have the greater influence of your heart? Well, obviously, the Holy Spirit. Amen, right? Because the Bible is very clear. If you're led by the flesh, then you're going you're gonna to react to emotion and desires and be led back and forth. Romans 8.13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So I believe that sometimes we complicate life. Here's the reality. The Bible is very clear that as Solomon is being direct with his children, likewise, we could say it this way to ourselves, you gain wisdom from God, now apply it in your life every day. Which, which tells us this, it tells us that you actually have to guide your own heart. What we've learned in this life we live is that we should be led by our heart, which is wrong. Well, my heart's desire is, well, you know, I, and I kind of feel this way and my heart saying this thing over here and we're led by our emotions and what we think our heart is, is wanting and telling us to do. And the Bible is saying, nope, nope, nope. That's not how we live. The Bible is very clear. As many as are led by the Holy Spirit, these are the sons of God, right? Meaning sons and daughters of God because we're led by the Spirit of God. So then my heart doesn't get to be in the driver's seat. What do you mean, Pastor Kevin? But my heart, my feel, doesn't matter. Solomon's being very direct. Your heart is not the what leads you. God's word and his spirit should be. So, man, are you saying, yeah, I mean, you have to apply what this says to your life. We have responsibility and a little work to put in. There's skin in the game, y'all. Let me give it to you like from Jesus in case you think I'm making stuff up. 
Jesus said this way, John 13, 17. Jesus says, if you know these things, what things? The things that he had just taught them. Blessed are you if you what? Yeah, I can't just, I can't just hear it and be like, man, I went to church. The word was good. <laughs> but my heart's leading me this way. That's your fault. And, or my fault it can be. The Bible is saying, no, no, no. I should lead my heart the direction it needs to go in. And as I do that, it, it will begin to submit and change. We have a responsibility. Um, and we'll, I'll get back into that as we go. Um, so these are things that we need to know and understand. And so I need, let's go back through some of these verses really quick. Verse 12, he says, apply your heart to instruction. Y'all see that? Verse 17, don't let your heart envy. Y'all see that? The heart can envy. We're not to let it. Verse 19, guide your heart in the way. We're being told to lead our heart or by submitting to, by applying the very word of God that we are receiving. We need to be doers of the word. Disciples are in the process of doing some work and getting sharp at it as we do it. That's what we're called to. Um, disciple discipline. That's what we're doing. We're being disciplined according to the word and we are performing the word and getting stronger as we do that. We're not just those that are led to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows in. Remember, Paul says that the pastor teacher, um, he gave some to be apostles, some evangelists, some prophets, some pastors and teachings for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to we all grow um, to the maturity of, of the faith, to, the, to a perfect man, to the, the, the fullness of the stature of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows through. I paraphrase a lot of that. I got close. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. This is what is happening here right now. We're growing up. All right, so we're going to cover some ground now. Verse um, 20. So we're set up for some thoughts that we can run through really quick. Notice in verse 20 says, do not mix with wine bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Whoa. Don't hang out with those who overindulge their flesh. They live to satisfy their flesh because you will pick up bad habits that will, draw, dra that will drag you into that same direction and be clothed with rags. He goes on to say, listen to your father and be who begot you and do not despise the mother when she is your mother when she is old. In other words, remember your parents and the things that they've poured in, especially if you've had good parents and honor them. Verse 23, by truth and do not sell it. And wisdom and instruction and understanding. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. What is he saying? Listen, seek these things and as you obtain them, hold on to these things. Keep these things and let them continue to work in your life. Use wisdom to, to apply these things in your life. Verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Hey, remember we've been learning these. These are repeat, repeat verses that we are blessed as parents when we see our children using the wisdom that they've learned and applying it in their life. That is a blessing. Amen, parents? Amen. So that's what he's, re he's repeating that there. My son, verse 26, give me your heart. We've been talking a lot about hearts. So now he's saying, give me your heart because there's something very, very serious I want to say to you as a father would to, to his son or a father to his daughter or a mother to her children. They're things. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Why? Well, because for a harlot, 
the word is whore there literally in the, in the Hebrew, is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. In other words, you're going to fall further than you want to go and you ain't going to be able to get back easily. Men for the seductress woman or women for the seductress man that creeps into your life. I want you to notice what it says in verse 28. She also lies in wait as for a victim. It's hard for us to see and understand sometimes, but it's the enemy working through that person to destroy you. It's, it's an agenda, whether that person realizes it or not. But here's the thing, the end of the verse says, and increases the unfaithful among men meaning that the seductress is creating more unfaithful men. In other words, men who would otherwise be trying to be faithful, but because the seductress is so good at what she does, she's turning them, those trying to be faithful guys into unfaithful men or trying to be faithful women into unfaithful women because it's what the enemy is doing. He's after them. Um, Remember back in the earlier chapters of Proverbs, it says that by her, many mighty men have been brought down. Y'all remember that? Men will get destroyed by the seductress woman. Young ladies, godly uh, young ladies who are trying to live right will be destroyed by the seductress. And Solomon has taken a moment again to repeat a lot of things he's already taught his children. This is the same audience receiving this. Like, Dad, we already talked about that back in chapter 2, 5, and 7. Yeah, but it's such a real thing. You need to listen. You need to listen because just when you think you got it, you realize you don't because let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall is what Paul taught us. Whoa. So when you think you're strong enough to deal with the seductress, guess what? You just played with fire. And, you know, I won't go into that because we're on live stream, but houses have been destroyed because of that. And I've quoted this verse, these verses. So he wants to make sure his children understand who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause. Somebody's in trouble if they got all these things. Who is it? Well, it's he who has redness of eyes. Why do they have redness of eyes? Verse 30. Those who linger long at the wine, those who go and search for mixed drink, not because the wine wasn't strong enough. So (laughs) it's a progression. Yeah, because the flesh is never satisfied. So the glass of wine, you know, it was, you know, but now they want mixed drink. We need something extra in this thing because, you know, that's what he's saying. They go and search for that. Uh, He said, so he warns, do not look on the wine when it is red when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Even the wine is is seductive in in a sense. You can sense it. Um, And and people are enticed by it. Because he says in verse 32, at last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. How does the the wine bite and sting? Because it destroys your life. Something's going to get lost as you begin to allow yourself to be consumed by it. Notice he says, your eyes will see strange things You know, if we go back to the B.C. days and we can testify strange things you see when you are under the influence of stuff, even wine. So he says, um, your heart will see your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, now your heart's being influenced by these things. And and because you're under the influence, you no longer have control of yourself. You're doing and saying things that you never thought you would do or say. 
He says in verse 34, yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Isn't that something? Who would lie down in the midst of the sea? You're going to drown. You can't sleep on water. You know, that's what he's getting at here. Or like one who lies on the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I didn't feel it. You ever heard a fool say that, man? He just took a butt whipping. He's like, I, I wasn't hurt. I'm good. You know, it's like, no, man. Come on, let me take you to the doctor. You know you messed up. Your pride is not letting you admit that you're hurting. Well, he's saying it, this is what it'll be like because you're under the influence, so you really don't feel anything. So you're getting, you're getting beat and don't even know it. He says, when shall I wake that I may seek another drink? At that point, the person's done. Full-blown alcoholic. Now, I don't, I don't want to get into this because we're out of time, but I, I will say this, that, you know, you can do the statistics. There's so many statistics here that you can look at of how alcohol destroys people's health. It, t- it causes them the, to, to lives to be lost. It increases all types of other illnesses in the body, cancers and, and organs failing and stuff like this. And uh, marriages being destroyed, children being abused or neglected. Um, all of these things. Um, I read one statistic that over 60 million Americans admitted to binge drinking in 2021 from ages 12 and up. That's 20% of the population, though, because we're only, we're only 350 million, um, r- right around 350 million, maybe a little bit more. So 61 million people binge drinking, even down to the elementary age. That is a lot of drinking. That is a lot of people consuming something that is destructive and the Bible really doesn't put it in a good light and so it's warning us about it and the thing about these things is that if you have it in your house don't be naive enough to think that your children won't won't try it when you're not around they will try it when when you're not around and and bad things then happen there and then they develop a taste for it that doesn't go away and then, then they go reach for it when things get tough. These things really happen, not to get into all of that stuff. And then you would say, well, Pastor Kevin, the Bible says Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Yeah, he did tell him that because Timothy had stomach issues. And back then, they didn't have ginger ale or, or, or Pepto. They didn't have those things. So he needed a little wine for his stomach's sake. But you don't need a little wine for your stomach's sake when you can take ginger ale or whatever else may be available to you, you don't have to go that route. No, that's not an excuse, okay? You can give me whatever verse you want to give me. The Bible puts the fact that this is not stuff that you want to play with. I'm not going to stand here and be legalistic, but just listen to the Word of God, and it will spare you. Alcohol can be very destructive. All right, we made it through chapter 23, and we'll pick it up in chapter 24, verse 1. Next week, where it says, do not be envious. (laughs) The Holy Spirit knows somebody in here didn't get it. So we got to do it again. I mean, he repeats stuff because we don't listen, you know, and none of us sometimes. We need to hear it. He repeats it because we need to understand it. So I'll try to come at it from a different direction, similar application, We'll continue to go through this next week. Bow your heads. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here. Pray that you would keep us this week, Lord. Go before us. Clear a path, Lord God. I pray that you would protect us on the roads, in our cars, in our homes. Uh, Give us wisdom and discernment as we are out dealing with people in the world and all of the places that we go, Lord God. Um, Maybe give someone someone, uh, creative wisdom for things that they need to deal with problems that are arising on the job, whatever the case may be, and give them the ability to deal with people that are difficult 
whatever the case may be, Lord, you have all that we need and you desire to work in every situation. And so we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us until you draw us into this place to gather again in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's sing. Amen.